morning. We're going to be back in Acts chapter 15 this morning. We spent the last couple of weeks in Acts chapter 15, and it's a great, great, great chapter in the Bible. And it's really kind of the dividing point here in the book of Acts, and it's pretty much the halfway point in the book of Acts. And a lot of not only what flows through the rest of the book of Acts comes out of Acts chapter 15, but the rest of the New Testament kind of flows out of Acts chapter 15. A lot of the way things are done and a lot of the people you see in Acts chapter 15, you're going to see through the rest of the Bible and how the Bible unfolds and how the mission of the church unfolds. So we'll look down a little bit further in Acts 15 this morning, but let me just kind of give you an overview. If you haven't been here, if you missed a week, but what's happening here in Acts chapter 15 is Paul and Barnabas are coming back off of their first missionary journey. And in Acts chapter 13, they're sent out by the church of Antioch in Antioch of Syria, and they are their sending church. Paul and Barnabas are basically pastors in that church. They're elders in that church, and they're teaching, and they're leading, and they're discipling in that church. And then the Holy Spirit of God speaks to the church and says, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, to the work I have called them. And what was that work? It was missionary work. It was going and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to places that had never heard. And so they fasted, they prayed, laid hands on them, they sent them out. And they went, and they went with the gospel. And Acts 13 and 14 is that first missionary journey. And they went to places basically in the Galatia region. And so that's Galatians in your Bible, but Galatia is a region of churches, so it's multiple churches. And they go there, and they go from city to city, and they share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they begin to plant churches in those cities. Of course, we know they met opposition. In Acts 14, we see that Paul is stoned, and I believe he's stoned to death. And the church prays for him. He raises from the dead, walks back into the city. He's stoned. And so they did an incredible thing, and God did incredible things through them. And they talk about that over and over and over again through the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit did this through us. And so now in Acts chapter 15, what they're doing is they're back in Antioch of Syria giving a report, basically. They're reporting about all that God has done through them and all the churches that are planted, all the people that are saved. They're just there talking about it and sharing with them. And they're back kind of in their role as elders and pastors and leaders. They're teaching the church and still ministering to the church. And in Acts chapter 15, what happens is while they're doing that, some false prophets basically infiltrate the church and they start teaching a false doctrine or a false gospel. And they're what's called biblically Judaizers. That's what they're called throughout the Bible. We're going to see them throughout Acts and in the rest of the New Testament. But they're Judaizers. And basically what they mean is they mean that to be saved and to be a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to put your faith in Christ, but you have to do other things. And the other things is Old Testament law. It's Judaism. That's basically what it is. That's why they're called Judaizers. And so they're adding to the gospel. And they're saying, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the law. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And Paul and Barnabas, they fight against them strongly. And the Bible uses words. I mean, they are arguing, and they are having a knock-down, drag-out battle. And so what happens is the church in Antioch decides that we don't need to be the ones deciding this. We need to go back to the church in Jerusalem, to the apostles, and to the leadership there. And so they send Paul and Barnabas to them, and they send some other believers, and there they're going to decide, okay, what should we do here? Who should we follow? Should we follow these Judaizers, or we should follow the message of Paul and Barnabas? What should we do? And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they meet with the apostles like Peter and the pastor of the church, James, who writes the book of James in your Bible. And so they're there, and they have the Jerusalem Council or basically a meeting that lasted probably three days to a week to decide what's right. And there are some believers who believe 
in Judaism, and you have to add that to follow Jesus because the Bible says they're believers there. And so they talk, and then Paul and Barnabas talk, and they kind of go back and forth, and they debate, basically. It's almost like a courtroom setting we would have in the states here. That's kind of what they're doing. And so eventually, the council there, the elders, the apostles in Jerusalem, they decide that, no, it's the gospel, and it's only the gospel. You follow Jesus Christ. And so that is their decision. And then what they do is they send a letter or an epistle, that's what a letter in the New Testament is called, they send an epistle back to the church of Antioch. And so what they do is they send this letter with Paul and Barnabas, and then they actually have two others that come from the church of Jerusalem, Silas and Judas, and they come back to Jerusalem to deliver the message of the decision of what they've decided. So that's kind of where we're going to pick up this morning. So if you have your Bible, look there in Acts chapter 15. And what we'll do is let's look where we're going to start. We'll just go back, go back to verse, uh, I want you to see some things here. I don't, we won't read the letter because we talked about that last week, but just look up at verse 30, I guess. Acts 15, 30. Okay, this is what happens after, or with the letter. It says, the messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. Okay, now I told you earlier that a lot of what we do in church today kind of fleshes out of Acts chapter 15. So what do you think a general meeting delivering a letter would be like even today in our church? There ain't no business meeting. Let's don't get it into that. We don't want to talk about business meetings. Now, this is a church service. I mean, what do we do on Sunday mornings? We gather together, and what message do I deliver to you? From God, right? And a lot of times, guess what it's out of? It's out of a letter to a church, like Ephesians, like Galatians, like Philippians. Timothy, I mean, these are letters. These are epistles. That's what this is. This is the first letter or first epistle back to a church. Now, we don't have Antioch in our Bible, right? We don't read from the book of Antioch, but that's what this is. This is the Antioch letter, okay, to the church of Antioch. And so they're delivering the letter. So literally they're preaching to them because they're not handing the letter, okay, Carl, you read the letter and then you pass it on. That's not what they're doing. They don't have photocopy machines where everybody can read the letter at once. Somebody has to stand and proclaim the letter, right? What do we do? Same thing on Sunday mornings. And this is what happens. This is the way it ought to be on Sunday mornings, verse 31. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Okay, boy, we could talk about this one all day and not move on. I won't do that. But I'm telling you, especially here in America, if there is one thing missing from the church, that's it. Not just joy. What kind of joy? Great joy. How much different would the church in America look if there was great joy in the church? It would look different. And I guarantee you, more people would come to our churches than they do now. Because one thing we're missing is joy. The joy of the Lord. What is that? It's our strength, according to the Bible, right? 
But most of the time people come into church and they see no difference in the church than they see in the world. And why are people, why would they come to church in the first place? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they're searching for something. They're searching for peace and they're searching for joy. And how do you find that? Where do you find that? Only through Christ Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, so when people come to church and they meet with people who have been forgiven of their sins, what should be the result? They should find peace and joy in that place. Now, what's most of the time do they find in the church? Well, they don't find peace and joy. They find dissension, and they find grumbling, and they hear disagreement. Well, guess what? That's in the book of Acts 2. And guess where else that is? In Acts chapter 15. We're going to get to it in just a second. But how should it be? It should it be when we come on Sunday mornings and the Word of God is preached and a message is delivered and we worship the one true God, there should be great joy. Amen? Amen. I don't care. Amen. There should be great joy. And that's what happened. Now let's talk about their joy for a minute because there's a reason for the joy, just not Jesus. Okay, think about this for a moment. Now remember, the church of Antioch is a lot of Gentiles, right? A lot of Gentile believers. Okay, if the message had a came back from the church in Jerusalem... Well, guys, we're sorry to tell you, but yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you got to do some stuff in the Old Testament. There were a lot of surgeries about to take place if the message had come back a little bit different, right? So if I'd have been a Gentile dude in there, I would have had great joy that the message was what it was, right? I mean, sometimes you just got to know what the, what the Bible's saying here. That, I mean, there was joy because... We don't have to follow the Old Testament law. We can't follow the Old Testament law. We don't have to do all that garbage. We just have to trust Jesus. That is a message of joy. But keep reading, because this is important when we're getting to in just a second. Verse 32, Then Judas and Silas, these are two guys that came from Jerusalem that the church sent to Antioch to basically say, Paul and Barnabas aren't lying. This is the message we came to. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed there for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with blessing and peace. Okay, so Silas and Judas are there in Antioch. And what does the Bible say they are here? They're prophets, and these prophets are at the church, and what do prophets do? Well, right here, it tells us exactly what they do. What are they doing? They stayed there a while, and what did they do? Encouraging and strengthening them in their faith. Now, if I say the word prophet, what automatically do you think of when I say prophet? You probably go back to Old Testament, right? And you think of some prophets in the Old Testament. Like, who are some prophets in the Old Testament? we got a bunch of them. But you have, like, Jeremiah, prophet. Isaiah, prophet. You have a bunch of minor prophets, basically the back half of the Old Testament. But what do we think of prophecy? When we think of prophets, what do we think of? We think a message specifically, though, about what? Okay, that's the way we think of it, right? We think of a prophet just speaking a futuristic message. And this is how we say, well, we know they were a prophet because what they said came true. That's how we say they're a prophet. Well, that's not how we know they're a prophet. Okay, 
they're a prophet if they're anointed with a mantle of God and they're speaking truth from God. Okay? Okay, so I want you to see something because this is important. It's important for Silas in just a minute because we're going to see what he does. But you don't have to turn here, but just listen to what Paul later writes in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about some gifts to the church in Ephesians chapter 4. And in verse 11, this is what he says, is a gift to the church. He says in Ephesians 4.11, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors, teachers. I, that really shouldn't be an and there. Pastors, teachers is the same thing, okay? They're the exact same thing, pastors, teachers. Okay. So in the church, New Testament-wise, not talking Old Testament anymore because Acts 15 kind of severed that, right? We're New Testament. There are prophets in the church. There are evangelists in the church. There are teachers, pastors, teachers in the church. Okay, what about apostles? Okay, it says that's a gift to the church. They're apostles, right? Okay, so let's talk about this just a second because we talk about disagreements in the church. This is one of the disagreements in the church. Okay, what does this mean, and are these still active gifts today in our society? Okay, biblically, an apostle, we read about them a lot in the book of Acts. What is an apostle? Okay, an apostle is someone who has basically been commissioned by Christ to take the word of God or to take the gospel and to teach it, to preach it, to proclaim it, to spread it. Okay, who are apostles in the book of Acts? Well, we know all the disciples were apostles, right? So all those disciples are apostles. Okay, when Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, what did the early church think they needed to do? They think they needed to appoint another apostle or disciple, right? Okay, do you think that was the will of God or the will of Christ? I'll tell you how I know. How did they decide who the next apostle or disciple was going to be? They threw dice for it. They cast lots for it. And so they found a dude, but do we ever hear from him again? No. So I don't think Matthias was supposed to be the next apostle or disciple. But we know later in Acts chapter 9, we have another apostle that Christ commissions, right? Because Christ goes and finds him specifically. It's Paul who we're reading about in Acts chapter 15. It's Saul then, but it's Paul. So he is an apostle because he's commissioned by Christ and Christ sends him out. And not only that, if you read the Bible, Christ spends a lot of time with him. Now, how does he do that? Well, it's spiritual. It's not physical, but it's spiritual. He spends a lot of time with him, teaching him, discipling him so he can be an apostle. But there are other apostles according to even Acts chapter 14. It calls Barnabas an apostle. Okay? So I guess the question today, you hear some churches, you hear some denominations, even in America, they'll claim someone is an apostle. Apostle so-and-so. Okay, are there apostles today in the time we live? I don't believe so. Because I believe those guys were commissioned by Christ for a specific reason, specific purpose. Okay? Okay, well, let's go on, though, because... Paul says here in Ephesians 4, this is a gift to the church. And then he talks about not only apostles, but prophets. Okay, in the book of Acts, are there prophets? Well, we know they're prophets, right? They're specifically prophets. We just read about it there in Acts chapter 15. Judas and Silas were 
prophets. Okay, so again, what is a prophet in the New Testament? A prophet is someone who does what? Goes to a church, encourages them, strengthens them, speaks to God, speaks from God to them, right? That's what a prophet is. Okay, there are a lot of people, a lot of conservative Christians that say we do not have prophets in our day. Okay, do we have prophets or not? Okay? I'm very careful about this. Because I think there are a lot of people who claim to be prophets that are not prophets. And I believe a lot of people say people are prophets that are not prophets. I don't think there are very many prophets in the world, but I think there are prophets. But you need to make a distinction. There's a difference between a prophet and prophecy. Okay? What does Acts chapter 2 say is going to happen in the last days? God's going to pour out His Spirit. Well, there are going to be many false prophets, but in Acts chapter 2, specifically quoting Joel chapter 2, what does the Bible say? Young men and women are going to do what? Prophesy. And old men are going to dream dreams and have visions. Okay, so there's a difference between prophecy and a prophet. Now, I know we're getting in the weeds here. But what is a prophecy? Okay, it's someone that's directly speaking from God. That's a prophecy. So if I stood here and God somehow anointed me with a prophecy, I would be speaking directly from the heart of God. Now, where that gets difficult is how do we know? Okay. Are there going to be any new prophecies in the last days? I don't think there's going to be a new prophecy, but I do believe this. I do believe things in the Word of God that we might not completely understand are going to be revealed through prophecies given what Joel talks about, what Peter talks about in Acts chapter 2. Does that make sense? There's going to be things that we don't understand biblically, especially Revelation, especially how things are going to unfold in the end times that are going to be revealed through prophecies. I don't believe it's going to be a new revelation. I don't believe it's going to be a new word from God. I believe it's going to be a revealing. Does that make sense? Okay, but again, we have to be very careful with that because what's also going to be taking place in the last days False prophets who are going to do signs and wonders. And when you see that, you're going, well, they've got to be from God. Well, guess what? They might not be. And so we got to be very, very careful about this. Okay, so what is a prophet then if there's a difference between prophecy and a prophet? Okay, for me, I believe in prophets. But I believe you would be very, very, very hard-pressed to find a prophet. I believe that is a man of God who is specifically anointed by God in such a way that he can reveal truth and open up Scripture and teach it in a way 
that pastors, teachers, evangelists cannot. Does that make sense? And I'm just telling you, if you're ever around a man of God like that, you know. You know. Could I repeat that? I don't know what I just said. Okay. (laughs) I believe a prophet is someone that is so anointed with the Spirit and the mantle of God that when he opens up Scripture or speaks the Word of God, it is in such a way that it cannot be denied and things are revealed and things are taught and things are said that kind of blows your mind even though it's just Scripture. But it's the heart of God coming through Him. But again, they're rare and they're few and they're far between. Okay? I guess the question is why are they rare and why are they few and far between? Is that God's fault? It's man's fault. It's our fault. But I guess this is what I want you to catch. No matter in the church, no matter what we title people, no matter how we see people, these gifts, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, there's all just one gold. Okay, this is what verse 12 in Ephesians 4 says. It says there, talking about all those gifts, all those people that Paul just talked about, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and acknowledge God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Okay, that's their goal, no matter if they're a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. That's what I am called to do right there. If you ever want to know a calling of what I'm called to do as a pastor of a church... That's it, okay? I'm called to equip you to the work that you've been called to to build up the church of the body of Christ. And why I'm to do that? To unify the body of Christ so that we can do what we're called to do. And what does Jesus pray for just before he dies? The unity of the church so that the world will know who I am. How? Through the unity of the church. That's what he prays. Now is that how the church functions in our world today. No. Not even close, right? Why? Why do we not function that way? Well, I'll tell you why. Because people are petty, right? Keep reading Acts chapter 15. I mean, you don't have to go far. To keep reading, look at verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. 
Okay. All they're talking about is going back, retracing their strips, Acts 13 and 14, going to all the churches, all the people to see how the believers are doing. This is discipleship, right? We're going to teach them, encourage them, strengthen them in their faith. It's just discipleship. So a great idea what Paul had there. Then verse 37, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Okay. Now remember... If you remember Acts chapter 13, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their first journey. But he kind of petered out not long after that. Acts 13, 13, he goes back to Jerusalem. He basically is homesick. He's really young at this point, John Mark is, and he he misses his mom. I mean, seriously, that's what he misses his mom. He goes back to Jerusalem. Do you know who his mom is? Okay, in Acts chapter 12, Peter's arrested and he's thrown into prison. You remember that? Okay, there's a church praying for him, right? Do you know where that church is meeting that's praying for him? John Mark's mom. Her name's Mary. It's her house church where the church is praying. And remember, Peter gets out of prison and he goes and knocks on the door. And the little girl comes up. Peter's here. And she locks the door and locks him out. That's John Mark's mom. That's who that is. That's Mary. That's John Mark's mom. Okay, so that's who John Mark is. Okay, but look at what happens in verse 38. But Paul disagreed. He didn't just disagree. He strongly disagreed since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Okay. Did you hear me say just a moment ago, people are petty? Okay, people are petty. And people want their own way, right? Okay, is that what Paul's doing here? Pretty much. Now it gets worse. And I know we don't see it in our language, but I wish you could. Verse 39. Their disagreement was so sharp. Okay, the word picture in Greek there, the Greek paints pictures as it tells the story. The word picture here is like a sword fight. That's the word picture. That's how sharp this disagreement is. I mean, they're fighting about this. This is not just, well... Barnabas, I don't think that's a good idea. No. I mean, they're fighting, okay? They're fighting about this. And they're going back and forth, and Barnabas probably calling him names. Paul's probably calling him names. I mean, they're fighting about this because they both believe they're right. They both believe they're right, and they're not going to give. So what happens? The disagreement is so sharp, they separated Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, who we just looked at. He's one of the prophets. Paul chose Silas, and he left. Okay. Here's a good question for you. Do you think this was the will of God? Do you think it was the will of God for these two men who had been called together in Acts chapter 13 and set apart for a work together and prayed for and fasted for together to go out and do the work I have called them, do you think this was the will of God for them to fight so sharply and disagree the way the Bible describes here that they separate and they go their own way? Do you think that's the will of God? That ain't the will of God. No matter what anybody tells you, that is not the will of God. What is the will of God? Unity in the body of Christ is the will of God. 
If you don't believe that, you might want to go read the end of the book of John. That is what God's will is for the church. Okay? That's the will of the church. John. Yes. No. So I think well, well, here's the thing about Paul. Okay, let's think about Paul and Barnabas for just a moment. Now, and I'm, I'm, I will say I'm biased to Barnabas. Because, I mean, and I am because I do. I truly believe Barnabas is the most Christ-like guy in the Bible. I really do. If you want to find somebody Christ-like, Barnabas is who you want to go for. I believe that. Okay, I mean, Barnabas is not his name, remember, what's his name? Joseph is his name, Barnabas is a nickname, and all that means is son of encouragement. So he is an encourager. And so what's he doing here for John Mark? Now, I didn't say this, but John Mark's his cousin, by the way. Okay, so this is a family member. Okay, it's, that, it, so it's deep ties. It, there's deep ties here. But, I mean, John Mark was young in Acts chapter 13, and he got homesick, and he went home, and basically Paul kicks him to the curb. Okay. Did Barnabas kick Paul to the curb? No, no, it had Okay, if not for Barnabas, where is Paul right now? He's in Tarsus making tents. I mean, sir, I am not kidding. Without Barnabas, Paul, we never see him in the Bible. Never do we see him in the Bible. Because Paul's the one that goes gets him. And you know where he takes him? To the church of Antioch. And you know what he does there for him in the church of Antioch? He disciples him and he mentors him. We don't know how long they're there as their kind of pastors, teachers. Barnabas is the pastor. He's the elder. He's the head guy there. Paul's under him, and he's ministering to him, discipling him, mentoring him, leading him. And then we see what happens in Acts 13 and 14, and every time it mentions them, it's always Barnabas and Paul, not Paul and Barnabas. It's always Barnabas and Paul. Okay? So you might not want to forget about the grace you received. We tend to do that pretty quick, right? Even the grace of Christ. Don't forget the grace you've been given. Paul forgot that. Barnabas is like, John Mark can be used by God. He needs another chance. And Paul's like, nope, get rid of that dude. We can find somebody better. That's not God's heart. I'm just telling you, it's not God's heart. And I know people will say here, well, you're wrong, John, because the rest of the book of Acts is about Paul. You know what? We don't see Barnabas again in the book of Acts from here. We don't. So how can you say that, that Barnabas was right here? Well, let's talk about that just for a second. Okay, why is Paul in the rest of the Acts and Barnabas is not? Well, do you know when Paul separates here, do you know who he takes with him? Well, we know Silas is taken with him, right? In the first part of Acts chapter 16, we know Timothy goes with him. We'll talk about that next week, but somebody else goes with him. Yeah, Luke goes with him. You know how we know? Well, we'll look at this next week, but pronouns change in Acts chapter 16. And the whole time it's talking about they and them. And then in Acts chapter 16, you know what it says? We. Okay, remember Luke writes all the book of Acts. So all Luke is doing is writing down what he sees. And he goes with Paul on these missionary journeys and he just writes them down. But please don't think that Barnabas is done. Barnabas is not done. Okay, he takes this young man named John Mark, and do you know what eventually happens to this young man named John Mark? He comes back to Paul in 2 Timothy, we know, but he writes the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark is written by this dude right here. Now, if Paul had had his way, would you have the gospel of Mark in your Bible? Probably not. If Barnabas went with Paul and said, yeah, kick him to the curb, we'll do what you say, we'll let him go, the book of Mark's probably not there. 
But Barnabas takes John Mark, and he takes him on mission, and he disciples him just like he did the Apostle Paul. And he ministers to him and through him. But I also believe the book of Hebrews is in your Bible because of Barnabas, because I believe Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, I know that says we think that's an unknown author, but I think Barnabas wrote it. So please don't think the work of Barnabas is done here in Acts chapter 15. But there's another thing that people say, well, this is how we know Paul was right. It says there in verse 40, Paul chose Silas and he left. There's a comma there. But then this is what it has. It says, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Now that's talking about the church of Antioch. So what did the church of Antioch do? They commissioned Paul again to go out. But there's a big difference in the commissioning here in Acts chapter 15 and the commissioning in Acts chapter 13. Do you know what the difference is? The Holy Spirit of God. That's the difference. In Acts chapter 13, who speaks to the church of Antioch? The Holy Spirit. It literally says this. The Holy Spirit said, he said, appoint for me Barnabas and Saul to the work I've called them. Then they fasted, they prayed, they sent them out. How? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Where is that in Acts chapter 15? Ain't there, is it? So the church of Antioch commissioned Paul, but who did they commission Paul and what strength and whose strength? Their own, not the Holy Spirit's. So I don't believe with any of my being that this is the will of God for them to separate. But this is what I do believe. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe Romans 8, 28. And I believe that he can work all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, all things, even stupid things we do, right? <laughs> even stupid petty arguments and disagreements and idiocy that we come up with on our own rather than listening and following the Holy Spirit of God, correct? Thank God for Romans 8.28. Thank God for it because he can work through it. but he shouldn't have to, <laughs> right? If we would walk and stay near his heart and his word, what do you think would have happened here if Paul and Barnabas would have just stopped a moment and said, maybe we should go read the prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross? And they had read the prayer of Jesus before the cross. Would it have changed what happened to them there? Well, it had probably made some difference. But they don't bring God into the equation here, do they? No. This is them, and this is their decision, and this is their heart because they can't get along, and they separate. And we never know what would have happened if they'd have stayed together, right? We would never know. And I'm just telling you, this right here is how 99.99999% of churches operate. Not Acts 13, 1, but the end of Acts chapter 15. We operate in our power, in our decisions, and through our pettiness. And what we think is right rather than the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? That's just the way it is. I, I mean, I can give you evidence till the end of time on that one. Probably every church that's ever existed, I can give you evidence. Even the Church of Antioch, which I do think is a great church. That's why you stay near this word as close as you can.
And that's why you need men of God, gifts to the church, who teach this and nothing else. And that's why you need to pray and fast for the Holy Spirit of God to speak before you do anything. And if we do that, and we receive this message that God gives us with great joy, and we're unified, ain't nothing stopping us. And we do exactly what this book says and exactly all God's called us to do. But unfortunately, that's not how we live our lives and that's not how we operate in our churches, is it? It's just not. And I can give you story after story out of my own experience and my own leadership in churches. But God can work. And so I'll just leave you with this. At the end of Paul's life, when he's a little bit less arrogant than he is in Acts chapter 15. And you know why? Because God had to do a lot of work on him. And it ain't easy work, and it ain't good work. It's hard work. I mean, go read about his thorn in the flesh. I mean, we talked a couple weeks ago about him getting to see heaven. You know what he talks about right after that? A thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. I mean, God had to do a lot there. But at the end of his life, basically when he gets to the point of his life when he knows he's about to die, he's in a prison, and not long after this, he's going to be beheaded. He's writing this letter to Timothy, one of the guys we're going to see next week in Acts chapter 16. He takes on that next missionary journey, a young man that he trains that later becomes the pastor of the church of Ephesus, an incredible young man. But at the end of his life, he's writing him a letter, and that's the letter to Timothy we have in the Bible. We have two of them, but 2 Timothy there is the very end. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is talking to Timothy. And this is what he says, verse 9. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. He's gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Malaysia. Only Luke is with me. Now remember, we're going to pick up Luke in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. He's still with him. But this is what he says next. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. That's John Mark. Bring Mark to me. Who was right in Acts chapter 15? Barnabas was right. Paul eventually figures that out. And sometime, Paul and Barnabas kind of make up. I don't know that they become close friends again. They sure don't do ministry together again. But they do make up. Paul mentions them in 1 Corinthians. But Paul figures it out. People are more important than a task. Paul's task-driven, and God used him for that, and he used that in incredible ways. But people are more important than tasks, and we don't need to ever forget that because aren't you thankful that's God's heart, <laughs> and people are more important than a task, especially to the heart of God. Amen. <music>